From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we launch our 24th year on the air. And thanks to all uh, everyone who has helped us along the way, including especially you, the listeners. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we are glad to welcome in uh, Keith Martin, who is the principal at our great St. John Notre Dame School in Folsom. Uh, Keith, good day to you. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you? Doing very well. I'm usually not in the principal's office this early in the morning, but uh, here I am. <laughs> well, I'm sure you spent plenty of time there, just like I did when you were a kid, huh? Yes, I did. I did. And it was never because, <laughs> guess what? You've, you've just won something. It was selected <laughs> for detention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was a bit of a social butterfly, so the nuns would send me a to go see the superior or whoever the lay principal was at the time, and I usually could win uh, uh, him or her over as well. So <laughs> it was great memories of coming up in Catholic schools. Yeah, my, mine, yeah, mine was never. I never got in a fight or was mean and nasty. It was just for kind of mouthing off too much, you know, trying to be a yeah, smart. Boys will be boys. Yeah, boys yep. will be boys. Not, nothing has changed. I look at our. Knucklehead seventh and eighth grade boys and just smile. You know, God is so good, and they have given us these kids with so much charisma and personality. And and the boy, do they have the fortitude now? They they, uh, they have the courage to kind of speak their minds, but they're so smart and and uh, they're able to analyze and, and critically think in the moment. So we always have to be on our toes as teachers. But they're great kids. Yeah. Tell tell us a little bit first about yourself. You've been a, a principal for six years now. Yeah, this is, I can't believe it, time is sure flying. I've been at St. John Notre Dame nine years, six years as principal, three years as vice principal before that, but this is my 22nd year in Catholic schools. Uh, I spent most of my career in the um, Archdiocese of San Francisco. My family and I moved here in 2014. Notre Dame grad, go Irish, and spent (laughs) um, spent a lot of time uh, working with the Alliance of Catholic Education, you know, working, doing the hard work to uh, find sustainable models for Catholic schools coast to coast. Um, you know, whether it's uh, working on school choice or the Latino Enrollment Institute, uh, Notre Dame has so many great initiatives for um, strengthening and sustaining Catholic schools. And we're doing that here in Folsom. In uh, 2016, when I moved into the principalship, we were uh, 290 kids. Today, we're over 370. Wow. With a, with a, yes, yes, the God, God is so good. And uh, with, a, with a wonderful STEM program, counseling department, uh, resource program, robotics, um, we are definitely a 21st century school here in Intel country, Folsom, so it's very attractive. But more importantly than anything, the the faith, uh, the authenticity and the joyfulness of the faith is lived here, and that's why I was able to find my home, and uh, we're, we're going to continue to be a force of good in Folsom. Did you move here to take the job at Notre Dame? You know, I did. I did. I I, I kind of left San Francisco kicking and screaming. I love the city, but um, sure. my goodness, it is too expensive. Uh, and especially for a Catholic school teacher, uh, although my wife um, is a CPA and does well, uh, all I was bringing to the table was probably couldn't afford anything. And we moved to uh, this area in 2014. I don't think I could even afford it now. It's just booming the economy and the home prices here. But we have found such a lovely community here uh, in this niche neighborhood, you know, city of uh, the broader Sacramento, uh, like-minded 
like-minded people, family-first people, servant, you know, a lot of servant leaders here. Um, it's, it's, it's a really great place to raise a family. Yeah, it's amazing. The uh, uh, people, I'm a longtime resident of this area, and uh, to see the, you see people say, well, if I hadn't gotten in when I did, I couldn't mm-hmm. afford to live here. And I think a, a whole bunch of us are in that boat, you know, that – uh, the, the, the housing and, and you know I look at my my kids that uh, are approaching adulthood and a couple who are in adulthood and how difficult it is for them to mm-hmm. you know the quote unquote American dream of home ownership is just uh, a, a, a dream at this point. It really is. It's you know we could talk about the justice around that, but then we'd be here all day. But yeah. it's it is very hard for it is very hard for young people to find a young professionals, young people, young families trying to find a home, even now in Sacramento, which historically was an affordable area yes, to indeed, buy. Indeed. And still and, compared to, to San Francisco or sure. Palo Alto or the whole peninsula, uh, it's still, the people think it's a bargain up here, but it, it has gotten yeah, to be very unaffordable. And, of course, in, in your area, in Folsom, uh, my goodness, the, the building that's going on there is dramatic. Yeah, we're excited about um, the growing Folsom community. I think as a transplant, it might be easier for me than for those uh, that have lived here for, you know, uh, for a generation or so and yeah. seen Folsom just grow by leaps and bounds. But 70,000 new homes in the South of 50 project, and um, we're the Catholic school in town and the only Catholic parish in town. So we're excited about ministering to our new families that are coming mostly from the Bay Area uh, and enrolling their children in the school and getting the families um, you know, engaged in the parish life here at St. John the Baptist. Can, can, can you absorb that many new people in, in your school and in your parish? You know, we, we are at the point now, we're blessed. It's a blessing and a curse, right? So we are, we are at maximum capacity, um, but we usually have space in the TK and kinder grades, you know, for the families that are joining us for the run. Where it gets a little difficult is when you have those families that move and they're at the intermediate grades to the middle school grades because we're not a double school. Mm-hmm. I, was, I surely could do that if I had the space, um, but I do not, nor the finances. As you know, it's very expensive to build now. Right. Permitting alone will, will break the bank. So we can absorb, we can absorb the families that, are, that have the younger children. It's, a, it's really competitive for those uh, that would like to get their intermediate or middle school age children in the school, but we do our best. Um, I have a motto: if it was good enough for the nuns, it's good enough for us. So I, <laughs> we have big, we have big class sizes of obedient and docile children, 35 to 40. Actually, our average class size is 36 students. So, boy, that's getting up there, yeah, isn't it? It is, it is. But the, the teachers here at St. John Notre Dame, they can handle it. Uh, the Holy Spirit provides them with. Um, the, the, the fortitude and the patience and the perseverance and the prudence that they need to, to run those classrooms well. Well, you know, I think you put your finger on it, and I, I heard this from so many different principals and teachers during the pandemic when, when you came back over a weekend and, and went right. online. Uh, you didn't hear from a single teacher saying, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for double duty because they're all on a sense of mission. You nailed it, Bob. Yeah, this is ministerial work, and uh, otherwise, why do it, right? You can make more money in in the secular schools, especially in districts like Folsom, Cordova, um, that right. have that pay very well. No, the teachers in Catholic schools are are there for the right reasons. The, the teachers here at St. John Notre Dame and the support staff, they're here for the Christocentric experience, right? Mm-hmm. Working with the children, seeking Christ in them, building disciples, 
creating po uh, pro positive contributing members of society. You know, our reward is so much greater, and, and we understand that. Uh, it doesn't make it easier, yeah. <laughs> but we understand that. So when, when the pandemic hit, thankfully, we are a tech-savvy school. Uh, we jumped right on distance learning and didn't miss a beat, and, but we're very blessed to get the waiver uh, from, the, from the county and the state and mm -hmm. open right away that 2020-2021 school year. Yeah. So our learning loss was, was, was very minimal uh, compared um, to some of our secular schools in the area that, you know, quite frankly, were not, not in school for instruction for a much longer period of time. For, so we don't take that. Um, we did not take that for granted. It was truly a blessing to, to get back with the children, make the necessary changes to the campus so we can have the proper mitigation and disinfection, et cetera. And uh, we, we navigated through it. In fact, we still are. You know, I mean, it's not that... COVID hasn't gone away yet, and um, we still take the necessary measures to make sure that the children are safe at school and that so are the, the employees. Yeah, I remember uh, uh, talking to Lincoln Snyder, who was the uh, superintendent uh, uh, at, at the time, and he's dealing with, I, I believe, 11 different county health departments, uh, all of which, had, you know, yeah. most of them had similar regulations, but there were, there were variations uh, based partly on the numbers. You know, from county to county, how how severe was was COVID and uh, et cetera, and um, just navigating through all that, and uh, you know, nobody was trying to be a rule breaker or anything. You guys just wanted to get open and and figured out a way to do it, and also you know, please the county and please the state. It was uh, <laughs> you were navigating through a lot of red tape and uh, uh, did it well, and and it. It turned out uh, with a heavenly blessing for sure. Yeah, uh, well said. Lincoln Snyder did a fantastic job directing uh, directing the schools through an unforeseen mm -hmm. you know crisis of pandemic, and his leadership was 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 much. Uh, we were much rewarded with his leadership. But yes, we played by the rules. We checked every box. Uh, we worked with medical professionals and and uh, purchased the necessary supplies and PPE. And, built cohorts and really good policies. Uh, but, you know, we never lost sight of mission. And I think when, when, when you're mission-focused, uh, you know, nothing is going to stand in the way of, 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 of the measurable objectives that we are trying to achieve, which is right. getting the kids on campus, keeping them learning, engaging, engaging them in the faith, um, building disciples. So we, that was the, we were hyper-focused. And even if that meant teaching behind acrylic barriers with doors open, with, <laughs> with air purifiers and electrostatic cleaning in the evenings and wearing masks, we did it. Uh, and we did it, um, we did it with, uh, you know, with, with the fortitude necessary to persevere. You know, it, it, plenty of suffering. Plenty of suffering, but hey, we're Catholic. We know how to persevere through yes, suffering. Yes, you know, you're, you're right. That sense of mission is so, you know, it's like, uh, okay, what's our goal here? How are we going to achieve the goal? As opposed to just saying, well, this, this, we just throw your hands up and say, I guess there's nothing we can do except uh, close the school and just wait for this thing to go away. Or we can figure out what's our mission. Well, we know what our mission is, so how are we going to do it? And how, mu how much do material i mean and for those that don't know the story friday the 13th of march uh, all the all the schools closed and public schools private schools everything here in the state and on uh, monday <laughs> the 16th the catholic schools were open not in person but were open with online how did how is that possible over a weekend so 
Yeah, St. John Notre Dame is unique in the sense that we are a one-to-one school and devices, a true Google school, Google Classroom, all the subscriptions and applications necessary. We don't take any of it for granted. We're truly blessed. Uh, so we were, we, were, we were already doing those things uh, to begin with. So it was just a matter of, of educating the families and how to use the Zoom and Google Meet and those instruments, which our families, much of, much of them are tech savvy as well, too. Mm-hmm. So once the, links, once the links were established and the children already knew how to navigate through the Google Classrooms, and I'm talking even the little ones, uh, it was just a matter of constructing um, time periods that were realistic, right? Setting realistic expectations for screen time, and then really focusing on the core subjects, right? So we taught the, the reading, the math, um, history, science, and religion every day, and unfortunately lost some of the electives, but we stayed on mission teaching those core subjects. And then when the, we got the waiver, and we would have to quarantine from time to time, we invested in the necessary, you know, remote cameras mm-hmm. and and mic and microphones and uh, interactive displays and huge TV monitors. And so we had the pieces uh, for teachers to teach remotely if they had to from their classrooms with students at home and students in the classroom at the same time. So we we had to spend a pretty penny, but um, we also did our homework and collected every cent we could from the federal government. Um, Mm -hmm. I know St. John Notre Dame collected through our hard work, and checking all those boxes for the state and the federal government, probably nine hundred thousand oh, wow. um, dollars to to make sure that we had um, all the necessary um, technology and, and and applications and 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 like I said, all the PPE necessary for um, to make sure that we could stay healthy. I, I understand so we were, you were, we were really hand sanitizer by the drum. Oh my goodness! I, I think I still have thirty-gallon jugs, <laughs> dozens of them. I'm sure they're expired by now, and I'm pretty sure I also bought them from a distillery in Tennessee because <laughs> that was the only place I could find them at the time. As you know, those types of cleaning supplies and, and disinfective supplies are in short supply. I remember during the <laughs> during the pan, you talk about it expiring. You know, the hand sanitizer during the pandemic. I was I was with one of my teenage sons uh, at the hardware store somewhere, you know, looking for any kind of, of sanitary wipes or hand right. sanitizer or anything. And we walked by and there was a section that had rat poison. And he <laughs> just he just he's curious, you know, and he reads all the labels and he says, it says this stuff has an expiration date like like what, <laughs> what, it no longer kills rats. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, no, I uh, we have the expiration date, but I'm like we're using that hand sanitizer. Sure. We'll just apply more. Yeah. Now we, we were very we were very thankful. We're very successful, and we're we're glad to be back at, in a, a true sense of normalcy this school year. Um, we haven't knock on wood. We haven't been hit by COVID or the flu. Um, I'll tell you what, the air quality that was our biggest struggle in the beginning of the year with all the forest fires. Sure. But even right now, navigating the storms, we've been. We haven't been impacted as bad as the rest of Sacramento uh, County here in Folsom. We've been lucky. Yeah. Well, you're you, you, a little bit of elevation in Folsom. Your water's running down <laughs> to the other. Yeah. It's going yes, down. Although I did, although I did drive by the dam the other day, and I said, "Why are we letting all that water out?" Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I have the same, <laughs> the same, the same thoughts. You know, it's like because we we still are hearing the warning. Hey. Don't think. Don't let your guard down. We're still in a drought. You know, all that water's running into the ocean right. or or whatever. I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I'm not a hydrologist, so I don't. I don't, I don't have. Neither am that. I. 
uh, all the answers, but I got to figure somewhere this water is soaking. Some of it's soaking into the ground and getting back into the groundwater, and hopefully right. the, it'll it'll end the drought. At uh, yeah, hopefully the water table will be fully saturated here, and uh, exactly. I'm sure they're still getting plenty of snow in the Sierras. It would be nice to be out of a drought, oh, you know, it? even if it's just for a year. Yeah, that would that would that would be very nice. So, the the lessons you learned from COVID, do, are are some of those still being applied, or or did you go back to where you are prior to COVID? I mean, are there are there things you do differently at recess or lunch or uh, that kind of thing? Well, you know, I think grace and and best practice could be found in 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 any moment, and including pandemic, right? Any time, including pandemic. So we definitely have found. So found it, found and made some necessary changes and continue those. You know, we, we are definitely not practicing cohorts. We want students to engage with children of other ages anymore. But in mm-hmm. terms of in terms of how we use application and how we use technology, right, I, I would dare say uh, the Zoom instrument has become incredibly helpful for sure. professional development. You know, we, can, we, we now can reach universities that are east of the Mississippi to get some best practice and formation. And also have articulation with colleagues at other Catholic schools, and 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 pick and and also have um, you know uh, the, the the webinar the webinar courses offered by universities. We're just so savvy now using Zoom and Google Meets and all those different webinar tools to better ourselves as Catholic educators. Also, the way we communicate with families, right? We had to be we're always effective communicators in Catholic schools, and St. John Notre Dame was. No exception to that, but now with um, coming out of COVID, we use a lot more video uh, in terms of messaging. We also can u- we also utilize social media um, not only just for the marketing, but also for an awareness of what's going in the school. Facebook was an, and Instagram were good tools for us using the the right way during COVID to share not only communication with what we're going on with the school with the families, but to uh, let everybody know what we're doing since we're open. Um, but but in terms of um, the janitorial, what's best practice for keeping the classrooms disinfected and clean? We always had good janitorial, but now you know we we really focus on the germ killing, not just the tidiness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, there's there's always there's always things that that can be learned, um, and 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 we continue to utilize those going forward. But some things we gladly jumped back into the normalcy of, you know, oh, sure. um, gr- grouping the students together, you know, shaking hands. Uh, getting back to mass together and not being six feet apart, you know, those those are small blessings that are, you know, that have huge impact. At, at extracurriculars, uh, are, are they pretty much back to normal, whether it be sports or the band oh, yeah. or the chorus or... Yes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, the children are back and participating in sports without masks on, which was always a challenge. The kids are singing at the choir. It's okay to sing again. You know, the kids are doing their robotics activities and competitions. We did outdoor education, going into the Marin Headlands and Yosemite. Hmm. Um, the kids, yeah, so all, the children participating in their academic competitions. We're getting ready for the spring musical, right? The spring mm-hmm. musical we're doing, uh, The Little Mermaid this year. So oh, the wow. auditions have happened, and, the, and yeah, and, the, and they're doing all of their uh, performance practicing. So all, and we even had the Christmas program, which was, you know, the families were so excited. That church was packed to see their little ones uh, sing joyfully for uh, for Holy Church. So that was sure. that was good. All those things have come back, and um, and no, we take none of them for granted. In fact, we're actually talking about bringing the talent show back. So the kids are all excited, coming up with ideas for that. 
Did you see any um, drop off? You know, some of the some of the stories from around the country were were dramatic in terms of learning drop off, uh, et cetera. Uh, that uh, it's almost like everybody lost a year. Uh, have, have you seen that with testing and, and that sort of thing? Uh, have you seen any drop-off at all? No. You know, the schools in the Diocese of Sacramento in general came out of COVID pretty unscathed. In fact, here at St. John Notre Dame, um, 80% of our students are benchmark or higher in reading and 79% in benchmark or higher for math. You know, and this is not even a full year coming out of the COVID, you know, uh, protocols and procedures. Mm-hmm. So we're very, we're very pleased where we're at. I think the hardest part, Bob, honestly, uh, for our students has been the isolation, you know, yeah, when, they, yeah. when, the, when the COVID first happened. In fact, Notre Dame, uh, at their Alliance of Catholic Education Conference here this past fall, cited a University of Virginia statistic through their studies that said a class of 30, a class of 30 students, regardless of the demographic or location, um, 60% of those 30 will have social, emotional, and behavioral concerns coming out of COVID. So mm-hmm. what do we do about that, right? How we look at that through a Christ, um, a Christ, the lens of Christ, a Christocentric lens, and, you know, do we need a behaviorist now to support sure. our schools? Sure. Uh, do we need, we need, we need uh, grief counseling, right? Do we, do we work with the district to make sure that the resources that the students are entitled to um, are being um, are being are being reached by the families so we can support the kids' mental health. I think that is going to be the real test uh, for all schools, but mission schools in particular, as we try to make sure the children have what they need. They can't learn, right, if they're depressed or anxious. We have to be able to address those. And so I think that's where we are going to spend some time and energy supporting the families as they as they look to uh, bring their kids out of this isolationism and and um, and get them back to being social. Yeah, I know we, we during was especially at the beginning of COVID, we had four four teenagers at home, and and uh, oh boy, a couple of them have since become not teenagers; they've become college mm-hmm. students. But uh, uh, although even some of them are still technically teenagers, you know, they're eighteen or nineteen. But and we noticed there was there there was a difference from kid to kid in terms of mm-hmm. that that isolation. So the one who. Some of them, you know, they bounce out of bed in the morning. They can't wait to get to school. And others of them, you know, it's like, hey, you got 10 more minutes. Are you up? Right. You know, and, it, and that played out during, during COVID in terms of how well they did academically, how much, uh, how, and, and nobody got, you know, clinical depression or anything. But there, there were differences definitely in their mood and in their their enthusiasm, you know, their, um, and, and I can imagine in a whole school, you're going to, you're going to see a whole range. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, the, one of the beautiful things about school, right. in particular Catholic schools is that is a great participation in the mysteries of the faith. And one of them is the Trinity, you know, we're made for community. We're made for community. And so to, to have that stripped from us, you know, um, and, and from a day-to-day basis where we then had to seek community through different avenues of, of technology, it's, it's, not a, it's not a replacement. It was, you know, it wasn't even suitable. I mean, it, it worked for what we needed to do, but we belong together. And so, you know, that's an undeniable truth. And so with that, with that, with that isolationism was just um, a separation from what we know and hold and hold to be true, and so it caused suffering. So, it's not surprising that the ethos here at our schools is just fantastic now that they've been together again, um, and uh, and that's that's part of the solution. And now we have to 
deal with the effects, right, of what of what happened when they were alone. We're talking with Keith Martin, the principal of St. John Notre Dame in Folsom, the 60th anniversary. Uh, can you take us back? To, uh, I know you were not personally witness to it, but can you take us back to the founding? Can you give us a little bit of history? Yeah, absolutely. So Notre Dame School opened in Folsom in 1962. At the Bishop Alamany from San Francisco bought a plot of land. I believe he spent $30 for this all this acreage out in this Folsom nothingless, right? It was just farmland at the time. And um, the pastor at the time was looking for an order of nuns to, to, um, to start a school. And so in Yuba City, the Sisters of Notre Dame de Nemur were there, and they were invited to come to Folsom and with the promise of a convent and an elementary school for them. And it was built in 62, and the Sisters of Notre Dame, um, with the help of the local Catholics here in Folsom, put together a, a robust school and of all, and it, it was they were with us until 1984. Mm. Uh, Notre Dame School at that time um, then joined St. John the Baptist Parish and became St. John Notre Dame. That's how we have our mm. unique name. And we've been a school staffed by lay people since 84. The beautiful thing about celebrating our 60th anniversary is the revitalization of our charism, of learning about St. Julie Billiard, the foundress of the Sisters of Notre Dame de Namur, getting formed by the sisters themselves, and the hallmarks and uh, and their beautiful charism of teaching the children what they need for life, and bringing that to the forefront, and it will be the lasting, it'll be the lasting culture of the school going forward. Will be will be a heritage school for the students of Notre Dame de Nemours, and really that will be the backbone of our Catholic identity. Um, but yeah, mostly Irish um, immigrants at the, at the founding of the of the church itself back in the late 19th century. Um, but the nuns themselves, you know, came way of France to Yuba City to <laughs> to Folsom, <laughs> and um, we're 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 so appreciative uh, appreciative of them. Uh, and so we will be we have been celebrating them. We have been celebrating our alumni family. We have taken the opportunity to relearn our history uh, and and learning more about the sisters' charism and their beautiful hallmarks and. It's just, it's been a blessing. Now, 60 years is old for most places, but we both know as Catholics, 60 years was yesterday. So we're, we're a younger we're a younger school in this diocese, but um, we're very proud of our 60, year, um, 60 years of history and, and, and Catholic education in Folsom. Notre Dame de Demur, don't they have a campus down in, what, Belmont? Yes, they do. They have uh, a college, they have a high school, they have an elementary school. Uh, the Sisters of Notre Dame de Demur have... St- such a, a almost they've left an undeniable mark on on the west coast they have they have founded schools from you know san diego all the way up to portland mm. you know um and now the sisters have left many of those schools and they've transitioned to heritage schools uh but their lasting legacy cannot be forgotten julie billiard is a phenomenal saint you know who really proclaimed the goodness of the good god and and found the good in others and her personal story, my teachers have spent some time learning this year, and we're going to do some more development around her. She is a, a patron of teachers along with LaSalle, and her story is equally as great, uh, but not often as known, and um, we love her dearly. So are, are you folks the Fighting Irish? We are. We are. But my alma mater still, you know, took back the leprechaun, so we have the shamrock everywhere. Yeah, um, we, are, we are the Irish, um, and... Uh, we, uh, we rock that logo everywhere we can. You know, one of the things here in Folsom, if I could really quick, 
uh, I noticed that unless you were a, a Bay Area transplant that were Catholic or you grew up Catholic in Folsom, a lot of people here didn't know we existed. Mm-hmm. And so we joined the chamber and got involved with the local businesses. We put ourselves in the local publications. And we make sure we put Folsom on everything. And now we've become a, a strong partner here in Folsom with through the chamber, with the community, and we are seeing ourselves as an evangelizing mm-hmm. um, uh, community now as well, too, reaching out to those families that are looking uh, for truth and difference and, um, than, what, than what the secular schools offer them here. So that's been really exciting, uh, not, not just being a, um, a transplant school, but, be, but also welcoming the families that have been generational Folsomites, if you will. Any special uh, celebration taking place on the 60th, or is it a whole series? Yes. Of- no, well, we've we've had a number of a number of celebrations with our founding families in particular, celebrating our eighth grade families, celebrating the sisters, welcoming them to campus. But what we're really excited about coming up here during Catholic Schools Week will be our um, first ever Eucharistic procession. Oh, and we'll be doing we will be doing it as an entire school from the old historic church to the the former convent, and we'll be dedicating that at that convent, which is now full of classrooms and offices and labs uh, to St. Julie and the sisters. So our, our lovely priests will be um, processing with the Eucharist as we pray in Thanksgiving for all the graces we received and then honor our tremendous sisters, their work, and then their foundress. I think that will be the highlight of the 60th anniversary. And then we've done, you know, the fundraising and, and the socializing and the celebrating and the learning of our history. It's, it's been a real fun uh, school year. Uh, celebrating our 60 years, but I think nothing's more important than the Eucharist, and uh, we're going to process and, and, and show Christ uh, as visibly as we can and pray as loudly as we can uh, to convert people, to have people have their daily conversion as we march down Folsom from one church to another. Very, very good. Well, you know, I'll close with this. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've had the uh, speech contest winners on our program, and uh, a number of them were from St. John Notre Dame, and uh, just what, what wonderful, uh, you know, bright and, and kind and happy kids they all were. Yeah, we're very, we're very excited for our speech uh, contest winners. That is, that is definitely a competition that St. John Notre Dame gets up for. Our students, <laughs> uh, they love the speech competition. We hope to compete well every year. Um, but we, more importantly, we hope that the uh, and we help the students that we hope that the content that they deliver and articulate um, is something that is deeply, deeply aligned with our Catholic identity, and that is uh, that's non-negotiable for us. We want to make sure that we're using that opportunity to really proclaim the goodness of the good God. Keith, uh, such a joy to talk to you again. Uh, thanks for all the great work you do there, and uh, great blessings to you and and everybody there at St. John Notre Dame with your 60th anniversary. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much, and keep us in your prayers. Absolutely. That's sure. Take care. That's uh, uh, Keith Martin, who is the principal at St. John Notre Dame. We'll take a quick break. Back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. 
Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916-972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrusites. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. Hello, this is Jennifer Campbell, Director of Trinity Pines Catholic Center. You're listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Jennifer, and thanks for all the great work you do here in the Diocese of Sacramento, including Camp Pendola. Uh, well, we are pleased to welcome in Kevin Stasco. That's Kevin. Deacon Kevin Skasko, good to have you with us. Yeah, nice to be here. As as always, it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while, Bob. We, we you're, are, still, you're still on the air. We're still on the air. <laughs> <laughs> we are now in our 24th year, believe it or 24th not. 24th year. Right. Well, I'm coming on my 15th anniversary at the diocese wow. in June. Yeah, so the, Do we have a big party plan? I don't know. I don't know. Probably, <laughs> what, what's probably the, not. What's the 15th? Is that balsa wood or what, what is, <laughs> what is the 15th it's anniversary? 15th, 15th, I don't know, <laughs> uh, but... Indeed. Just you came here like as what? What was your time? Uh, I was I came here as the director of youth and young adult ministry, so that was in 2008. And, and you were in the Bay Area at the time? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was working at a parish um, over near the uh, over near the seminary in. Uh, I was in Redwood City at St. Oh, okay. Pius Parish in right. Redwood City. Right. So I was working there, and then um, my wife and I had had the had the twins, and we wanted to. You know, we were looking to you know, buy a house and we could not afford a house on two church salaries in Redwood City, California. Definitely not. But Roseville, California was possible. So we were looking at Roseville. Her sisters lived there and uh, uh, this job came up. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a long story. We we actually sent uh, letters with our resumes to every parish in the Diocese of Sacramento really? where we'd be interested in working. You know, yeah, yeah. There weren't a lot of jobs on the website, so I just said, oh, we'll just send email. We'll send a mail, a, a letter to all the pastors mm-hmm. just saying, hey, we're, you know, we're interested in moving to the area. We have you know, many years' experience in ministry. And we got actually a lot of calls from that, and that's how we, we got introduced to Carson Weber here at the diocese. Sure. And he um, took us out to lunch, and he took us, when we came back into the building, he took us to every department in the whole building and introduced us to everyone. And I met Kathy Connor that day, and she said, well, hey, you know, um, you know, 
funny thing, we just finished the meeting to finalize this job description for the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministry. It hasn't been advertised yet, but if you'd like to apply, and she told my wife and I, we were both full-time youth ministers sure. at the time, she said, um, just don't both of you uh, apply for the job because I don't. we don't want to have to decide between a husband and wife. Right, right. So, so anyway, you and so your wife flipped the coin? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my wife's like, I don't want to deal with the Diocesan politics. You, you do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I applied for the job. And um, it, it, was, it was a funny thing. So I applied in December, and they said, okay. And I, and I did an interview uh, here at the Pastoral Center um, in the Quinn room right here in the front. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, they told me, okay, you're our top candidate, but you have to wait to the final interview to get interviewed by the bishop. But he's out of the country, and Bishop Soto, uh, Bishop Wiegand has decided— Bishop Soto was here as a coadjutor, right. but but um, uh, Bishop Wiegand knew that he was going to be leaving in November of 08, and so it was like December of, of 07, I guess, just, just after Bishop Soto had come, and he told him, well, no, you hire the youth minister, so they said, fine. But Bishop Soto's out of town until March. Oh, wow. So I had to wait three months <laughs> just so I could have a one-on-one -on -one interview with Bishop Soto, right? And I tell and you, I tell you on that at that interview, I never stopped talking like yeah. the entire. I, I know you can't believe that, right? But I just <laughs> talked the entire time. I don't think he got a word in edgewise, right? Like <laughs> at the end, he told me, you know, he, I remember him telling me, um, you know, uh, I just want you to remember something. You know, if, if you know, if you if if we decide to hire you, I just want to remember you to remember something. I want you to remember that every every um, when we talk about. Um, the Hispanic community in the diocese is 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 the young community. So like under forty, I don't mm -hmm. know what percentage under under forty in our diocese. This percentage is sure. Hispanic. So whenever you say youth ministry, you need to remember that you're also saying Hispanic ministry. Mm -hmm. Don't try, you know, you can't really separate the two right. in our diocese right. because of the sheer numbers, right. right? And so that was interesting. And he said a few other things, but it was just funny. That I talked the entire time. At the end of the interview, I'm like, oh, I didn't let, I'm not. And I was sure I was. That was it. Because I, did, I yeah. didn't say yeah. anything. But they hired me, so that was good. So anyway, yeah. and then, that was and, then it. and then your wife found a found a yeah. So youth minister. So job she too. she had a she had a she she had a she had a uh, rough time because um, because uh, uh, they're just you know she she had, she applied to to a couple different jobs and and then they you know the the, the salaries and some of the we we had to qualify for a house here. So there was a certain amount of money that my wife had to make for us sure. to qualify for the house. Sure. So we, we, you know, we were really clear up front with the parishes. But anyway, so she, but she ended up finding a, a job at St. Clair. But what ended up happening is we didn't get it right away. So um, we uh, we ended up having to. Uh, she ended up having to commute from um, from uh, Sacramento to the Bay Area to to uh, Redwood City a couple two or three days a week. Wow. So she dropped my the. Bob dropped my kids off at my parents' house in Pleasanton, and then she'd go to Redwood City, and she, you know, and she'd work three days, and then she'd come back. So for the first, you know, first three or four months we lived here, that's that was the that was the arrangement. So she was gone on the weekends, and I was with the kids. And, wow, you know, she, I know that commute. My, my oldest son and his family live in Redwood City. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. She tried to do it like non-commute hours because she didn't have to commute during the commute. It was like sure. reverse commute sort of. So she. The, the traffic wasn't the big thing. It was just being, you know, being just away. doing that. But she, she was working part-time there because yeah. she had a – at her parish, the administrator, the DRE, and the youth minister – she was the youth minister. They were all leaving the same year. Mm -hmm. So the, the pastor said, well, I'm desperate to keep one of you. So if you'll stay, you know, you can just work. 
right. you know, two days a week and then and work from home the rest of it, and yeah. it'll be fine. And now she's an institution in St. Clair. Oh, yeah. She's been there a long time. Yeah. Well, she, I mean, you know, she started at St. Clair under Father Stephen Fapiano, mm-hmm. you know, uh, rest, may he rest in peace. And he, you know, he passed away while she was there. And then, you know, and then uh, Father Tim Nondorf was there for a while. Then he, he left. And then suddenly... And then, you know, and now Father George. So she's had the, she's kind of been the glue that's kind of kept that uh, parish together uh, through that, you know, through, through some, through some rough times. That's Father been, George you know. seems like he's found his place. There. Oh, no, he loves, he loves it there. Yeah. He's the, the cathedral of Roseville or it, it, yes. something, right? He, yeah, he loves yeah. it. No, but, but Father George is a, um, just such an enthusiastic, he you is. know, priest and, 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 you know, very excited about liturgy and about the feast days and, and the saints and the relics yeah. and. You know, so he's he's very um, he's very exciting. Certainly, certainly a lot of energy. Sometimes yep. it feels like I think he, it. Sometimes it feels like he's adding a Easter vigil to every month of the yeah. year. <laughs> but it's it's just beautiful. The processions sure. and, the, sure. and the and you know what and there's and and um, some of our you know some of our parishes have completely lost that the, those traditions. So it's nice to see him keeping a lot of those alive, and it's great. And then at time. some point in recent history. You decided that the diaconate was for you. Yeah, that was kind of a long time coming. Like I think, I think when I first, uh, when Paul and I were first uh, married, I, I had been involved. I had actually, um, um, I had actually provided childcare for another deacon couple so that mm-hmm. they could go to the weekends when mm-hmm. I worked as a youth minister, right? And so I had always thought, well, maybe you know, maybe a diaconate, you know, like I, I, my whole life is service to the church. My whole life since my young adulthood had been working full time for the church, being being there all the time. You know, basically when I was single, I was at the church all the time, mm-hmm. right? Involved in every ministry you could possibly imagine, right? Just like really, really dedicated to the church. So I saw that idea of service to the church or service th- to Christ through uh, the church community, the parish community, mm-hmm. as as really my calling, right? So, and it served in a lot of different ways as a DRE, as a youth minister, as you know, as a kind of a pastoral associate. So. A lot of different ways, but I never um, uh, connected, you know, really connected that to diaconate. But it was kind of in my head about, you know, the deacon being the minister of service, and that was my thing. And I've had a few people pull me aside and say, hey, you should really consider the diaconate, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Father Stephen uh, did the same thing. He, you know, took Paul and I out to dinner, and he said, you know, I, I really think you'd be a great, you know, deacon candidate. You should really, you know, consider this ministry, right? So felt really you know, felt really called to it. So anyway, I and say, you know, not, whatever. That's not, you don't just sign up and now you're a deacon. No, no, it's a, it's a long process. And I, you know, I went into the deacon pro- program with a master's degree. So my assumption when I applied, would they be saying like, oh, well, you don't have to do the first two years because uh, you already have a master's and right. whatever. Oh, no, 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 I had to do the whole thing, right? It didn't matter what my background was. It didn't matter that I had, you know, 20 years experience in ministry. Right. It didn't matter that I had, you know, that I had, you know, that I had a master's degree in pastoral ministry. Um, with our program, I had to go through it all again. So you had to really, you know, really want it and, and that's really what, four commit years? to really commit to the process. Yeah, it was like four and a half years. Yeah, four and a half, almost five years. Because it takes about takes almost a year to to apply on top of it, right? And then our process, I think, was ended up being four and a half years. Has being a deacon been what you imagined it to be, or is, was it different than what you imagined? Well, it's, you know, I think I, I learn in formation, like, you know, you always think about deacon is about what a deacon does, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a sense to me, and that this is how I felt on my ordination, is that um, this is who I am, right? This mm-hmm. is who I am. This is who I was called to be. 
it's who I am. I am a deacon. You know what I mean? And and I say to I was telling someone the other day, it's just like I married, right? I, mm-hmm. It's like it's like I married to Paula, right? right? So like so like you know, some people say like, oh, you know, I, you know, how can how can marriage be lifelong? Whatever. Well, I think it's your attitude, right? If if, sure. if that's who I am, who I am is Paula's husband, right? right? I'm not. Right. I, that's who I You're am, right? I'm not, yeah, not just yeah. married to her. Right. I, I'm not just in a contract with right. her. I am Paula's husband, right? right? And, and you know, and if she were to die, then it would be really hard for me because I am her husband. That's sure. who I am, right? I don't, I don't sit around there going like, wow, you know, how can I trade up? What would yeah, exactly. be, you know, what you know, what would it be like to be this person's husband? Right. Or what would it like to be that person's husband? No, like who I am is a husband, right? And is a husband to Paula specifically, right? right? Exactly. And so uh, with the diaconate, I feel like that's kind of like, it's not really what I, when I got in, I was more interested in holding myself accountable to serving the poor or being, doing more direct service. I, I had a, a feeling in my bones that, you know, I'd be up in front of the pearly gates and They'd say, "Okay, when did you, you know, when did you see me naked and clothe right. me? When did whatever?" Right. And I'd be like, "Well, you know, I set up this program that, you know, <laughs> that, you know, trained over five thousand people to, you yeah. know, to serve and whatever. So certainly that counts." And right. for him to say, "No, no, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> I said, when did you, you, you do it, yeah. right?" So that idea that um, uh, being pulled so often into the administrative part of the church or into the ministerial or, you know, so separated from the actual work, right? More and more at the diocese, I felt like I was being pulled away from the actual work. And so I felt like this would hold me accountable to that. But again, it didn't add any time to my week, right? So it's not like, you know what I mean? It's not like I have oodles of time to go out and serve the poor. There's just so many, I'm, I'm, right now I'm supervising so many different ministries, that you know the meetings and the supervision of sure. those people, whatever. That's still my, you know, my primary focus. And so you know, I, I was um, assigned to St. Lawrence, right. and I've tried my best to be in, as involved as I can. But there's so many weekends that I have to be doing things for the bishop, and sure. so it's kind of a balancing act between the two. And then also, my my kids are are. are uh, I only have a few more year, years, as you probably know, with my with my kids in the in the at home. Yep. So uh, you know, I finally met with the pastor. I'm and learning said, that you know, painfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Right. They're starting to leave. Right. So I just said, you know, while they're still at home, I want to spend as much time as I can with them, and they're serve. They're both serving in ministry at mm-hmm. the at St. Clair with my wife. So I want to, you know. I want to be able to be there for them. So now I'm I'm really serving at the parish every other weekend, and then and then helping out with faith formation and youth ministry as needed. But uh, but anyway, it's juggling it with the diocesan responsibility is hard. So I I don't think I thought through like how much time the diaconate actually takes in, yeah. in, in you know in practice. And I also never envisioned, even though they told us that from the beginning, that I would be assigned at a different parish. From your home parish. From my home parish, right. And and I did, you know, so I, I got the, the blessing and the curse of being assigned to another parish. But I think what I did gain from that experience is a real understanding of what it must be like for priests that, you know, have to go be part of this parish, and then they get uprooted and, and put boom. in this parish, right? Yeah. 
it's that idea of like, you know, gosh, St. Clair is my home, right? It's my home parish since I since we moved here. Sure. We've gone to church every Sunday there and been involved in ministry, and I know everybody, and everyone knows me, and they prayed for me, and they paid for my diaconate, and they, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when I when they, they didn't assign me there, they were they were upset. And every time I walk in, they're like, are you back? Are you uh-huh. our deacon uh-huh. now, right? I mean, every time I walk, you know, that that's the reception I get. And then going to a new place where, you know, you just don't know, you literally don't know anyone. Right, I mean that's 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 really that's that's really hard. So if that happens a lot, you know that that'd be you know really difficult. When I was a youth minister, I did move parish to parish, but I really like I was in a parish, then I moved to another parish, then I moved back to that same mm-hmm. parish, right? So, and it was and it was in the, a, a similar area. There was a lot of like overlap of parishioners between those two. So it was, and there's overlap between St. Lawrence and St. Clair, but it's. I can understand how how hard that is for a priest to have to like start over, right? And not oh, yeah. know where not know where the resources are, yeah. right? It takes a while to figure out where the resources are, you know, and who you need to talk to about that and you know who now has run the, into my, who has the key to that. My former pastor the other day and he just is 6 months into a new assignment and it's just different for him. Mm-hmm. Really 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 different. Yeah. And, and I think it's a it's a challenge, and there's some there's there's a healthiness maybe to that, right? To to not having the same person in charge sure. forever, and sure. you know, it, it kind of whatever. But I imagine for especially some of the priests that I know have been moved four or five times in ten years, right? That's that's hard. That that would be really hard. And 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 I tell people, it takes five years to build a good ministry, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think to build a to build a really good rapport with your parish it's got to take three to four years and yep. you may not even be there three to four years yeah. and that's just the yeah. reality of where I mean, we're at but it's i don't right. i don't even know the new guy's name yet that yeah. kind of that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. you know and and they're they're, they're sort of holding on to the old mm-hmm. or or welcoming the new we're very welcoming people but it's still it's a different style a little bit and frequently yeah. it's just different yeah. Yeah. yeah so what are your biggest challenges in this job uh, you know, it's. Um, I think the biggest challenge in our diocese is communication, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do we? Um, we're trying to do a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of really good things to try to make ministry better, to help parishes do ministry better, and some of our parishes never find out about them, or it never gets to the right person, right? right. So there's a, there's kind of a communication gap sometimes between what we're what we're doing here and what they're doing there right and then it's kind of an it's kind of an odd role right because we're not really like the police of the diocese you know right. but some people treat us that way right like right. you know you're telling us that we should be doing it this way you know and and, and again we're offering resources and best practices right sometimes Correct. that's taken as well that's we're not we don't want that right we want to do right. things our own way so it's like how do we so it's it's the communication, and then mm-hmm. you know when we have turnover in our department, I, I, I was trying to tell someone it's similar to the priest moving or the deacon sure. moving or whatever. When that person moves, you know when when I when I lose someone in my department because they decide to go another path or wherever they they go, um, then I lose their network of relationships every time that leaves, right? And that's like the essential piece, right? Sure. Um, if we don't have good relationships with the pastors and the and the and the lay ministers in the and 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 the others in the parishes, we're not able to really effectively work with them. So it's a constantly trying to you know. So so there's been a lot of turnover not mm-hmm. only at the diocese, but there's been a lot of turnover in the parishes sure. in the last ten years, right? So it's it's kind of like we're always playing catch up on those relationships, right? And there's never enough time, 
And then the other the other thing is we you know we did go through some staff cuts at the diocese before, so we're still. I mean, it's been a few years, but it was 2020 when those staff cuts were made, right? But it's we're still kind of adjusting to, well, how do we how do we bring the workload down to what uh-huh. we can actually handle with those people missing, right? Because right. there's an assumption like, oh, you're going to continue to do everything you did before. So it's trying to, you know, trying to to balance that. But what we're focusing on right now is. My people are trying to be out in the parishes more and behind the desk less. So that idea of them being in the parish and being available to, if there's a new DRE or a new youth minister or there's somebody who, you know, needs help, we can actually go and spend a few hours with sure. them or you know what sure. I mean, do what they need or. You know, are we completely are post-COVID now? I mean, is everything back to a hundred percent? Pretty much. I mean, I, I think pretty much people are doing that, but I, I think I hope you know what we tried to emphasize during. COVID was that um, since you couldn't gather, you know, let's focus on parents and families, right? So w- we've been trying to get youth ministries and faith formations to programs to really look at the whole family. So mm-hmm. if we're if we're preparing people for first Eucharist or first reconciliation, it's an opportunity to evangelize and invite the whole family back to those sacraments, mm-hmm. right? And an, an opportunity for us to explain. Well, hey, if you're you know if you're not having family meals together, you're not having Eucharist with a small e. Eucharist, you know, the Eucharist, the sacrament of the Eucharist doesn't mean as much, right? So it's this idea of like bringing those sacraments into the domestic church, into mm-hmm. family life, right? So th- each of these sacramental moments or each of these formation programs, even youth ministry, is an opportunity to kind of reach and evangelize the entire mm-hmm. family. And to remind them of what a disciple of Christ does and, and what it, is, it means to be a disciple of Christ. So that idea that we're not just forming the second grader for First Communion, we are it's an, it's an invitation right. to the family to get their marriage blessed or whatever exactly. else needs to happen so that they can receive those sacraments. And also, it's not about the First Communion or the First Reconciliation, right? It's a lifetime exactly. of going to Eucharist. It's a lifetime of receiving the Sacrament of Reconciliation. And hopefully, reconciliation and unity are modeled, and, and you know, and, and the meal and all that—that's modeled in the family context. So that when you come to the Eucharist, it's you know what I mean. It's meaningful. It's connected to your real life. It's not something foreign, right? I, I go and I do that on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, I you know, it has nothing to do with it, right? Exactly. It, it needs to be intimately connected to my family life and to the way I'm living my life, right? So it's it's just that opportunity. So we tried to really emphasize that family aspect. So a lot of parishes are, are experimenting with different family models where mm-hmm. families come together to be formed together rather than kids coming to class, right? So trying to get out of that drop-off model of formation right, where we right. just drop. And some programs are just teaching the parents and sending them home with the catechetical materials and having them do it in the in the home, some are doing a hybrid of that, so there, there's a lot of uh, different things happening, and I, I think there is some parishes that are still offering some online things, but by and large, everything's yeah, coming back to yeah. in person. And you know, ministry is about relationships, so many ministry really should be done in person. So hopefully, we're, we're you know we're moving back to that. I know. I mean, I, I, we were sure thankful uh, to have mass online. Uh, but or you know on zoom or whatever it was but uh there's nothing like going to mass in person yeah it's just it's just different i mean completely different but yeah yeah, yeah. no and and it's important right it's important it's like the 
that's the that that's the purpose of it is the gathering, yeah, right? Exactly. And if you don't have the gathering, you're really missing something. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, it 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 and there's a sense that yes, we are all gathered around. You know, the entire church is gathered around. It's different tables, but we're all really gathered around one table, right? Spiritually around the Eucharist, right? So. But but it there is something it really the purpose of public prayer is coming together and sure. being together right and worshiping together it's not it's not a private devotion it's a public exactly. and it's a sacrament so it's communal. You'd probably be pleased to know that uh, one of my college age daughters is found Newman. Oh really? In a big okay. way. Oh where, where which at, one? At, at Davis. At, at Davis. UC Davis. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, and, and just as just a, she has some some special needs. Uh, and um, they've just wrapped their arms around her. She just, oh, that's she awesome. Just, that's good to she, know. She just loves Newman. Um, they went bowling last night. Oh wow! She told me she rolled a forty-eight. <laughs> <laughs> I told her. I told her that's pretty good. I said, were the balls going in the same gutter or the different gutters? She said they were always going in the same gutter, and I said we we might be able to fix that. <laughs> but she was happy with it. She was just you know that's just. Um, it's it's a good group of people there, yeah. and it's uh, she's gone on a couple of their retreats with them, and uh, you know uh, overnight retreats, which was something really brand new for her, yeah. and uh, they've just uh, welcomed her with open arms. Oh, that's so, great! I'm yeah. really glad to hear that, Bob. Yeah. That's excellent, and I I think that uh, we we um, I, I think I think there's a tendency by by uh, ministers, and maybe I fall into this sometimes too. To focus on kind of the, the the things that aren't working, right? Right. But like your daughter connecting with the Newman Center, right? The Newman Center is doing good work because your daughter was connected with the Newman Center, right? Absolutely. We need to we need to focus on those rays of hope and those positive things that are happening. And I do think that, you know, we're in a very hopeful time for the church in, in many ways, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of there's certainly a lot of work to do, but I think you know it's like, um, it's a it's a you know there's certainly the world certainly needs Jesus Christ yeah. more than ever, yeah. right? It's an and if we have an, if we have yeah. the if we have the if we have the uh, the courage and the energy and the passion to go out and share, to you know to share Him with others, I think you know it, it it's a good it's a good time, you know. And I and I I think that um, you know I'm hoping that um, you know we can focus on this idea of vocation, not just of the priesthood, but right. this idea that we all have a call from God. So, God yep. has a plan for each of us, yep. and each of us needs to find the plan in our lives. And we've all been called to be part of this mission of Christ. And how do we get people to really start to think about that? You know, and I, and I think we need more we need more priests and religious sisters. We also need more people to be youth ministers and people to lead religious ed programs and people yep. to be liturgy directors and people to be Parasecretaries. A lot of those parasecretaries are getting really old out there, so maybe we need to turn them over, right? We need, you know, there, there, there is all this need in the church for lay people. Some, some lay people. Obviously, not all lay people are going to work for the church, but this idea that we need, we need that we need people who are called to that, and it's it needs to be a ministry, right? Because it doesn't necessarily pay super well, right? We'd like to get those salaries up, but it doesn't pay super well. But if you're not coming to it from a relationship with Christ, um, to those ministries with a relationship with Christ, you're usually not very good at them, right? right I mean, right. that's what we want is people who are ministry focused. So, I think, but but I think there's an opportunity, you know, there's an opportunity here to really, um, you know, to really hone in on what we do. And I, I think um, 
the pandemic for me at least was a lot of introspection on like, well, how do we do this better? Mm-hmm. Right. Or how do we do this more effectively? Or, you know, what's not working and let, let's, 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 let's say it, this isn't working. So let's try it this new way. Right. So that, that's what I've been trying to encourage people. Like you felt in your gut for a while, this hasn't been working. What, what have you always wanted to try? Why don't we try that? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it couldn't hurt. Right. Couldn't hurt. We're going to try it. Right. And see how it goes. So that's the, that's the, uh, that's the encouragement that I've been giving the DREs and the youth ministers and, and my staff as well. What can we do differently? And, you know, what have you always wanted to try? Well, let's, ex- let's experiment with some new ways of doing things and see how they go. And then what can we learn from what others are doing as well? So trying to do some reading and some intentional understanding of what other people are doing. Deacon Kevin, always a pleasure to have you on the program. God's yeah. blessings in the new year yeah. for a wonderful 2023. You too. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. That's going to do it for us for today. God bless. Take care. To the cross I look And to the cross I cling Of its suffering I do drink Of its work I do sing Oh, it must save you.